Well, today's scripture comes from Romans chapter 8. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. We're going to read it in the ESV. You have uh, pew Bibles that are ESVs if you'd like to follow along. Uh, we're going to do an alternate reading, so this will uh, involve some participation uh, if you can find the scripture. Uh, I will read the first verse, and then you can respond with the verse after that. Um, all of us will respond with the, the verse after that. And then we'll keep going back and forth from me to all of us, me to all of us until the end. And so once you have found the scripture, uh, if you could please stand as able. So again, it's Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit." For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, friends, we are uh, kind of wrapping up this uh, sermon series that we began, uh, that we've been going through the entire school year about metanoia. That's the Greek word for repentance. It is about change, changing your mind, changing your heart, changing your life. And um, so, yeah, most of what we're going to be doing in this conclusion is going through Romans chapter 8, which a lot of people consider to be the greatest chapter in the Bible. Um, it, it's uh, uh, something that has been very near and dear to my heart. Um, so, brothers and sisters, uh, uh, one of the things we're going to be talking about, well, kind of the main thing today, is how our lives are meant to be joined with Christ, to be joined with God, to be joined with His Spirit. And that means that you do not live life on your own. That's what this is about. You are not supposed to live life on your own. We're not supposed to be separate. But this is something that we fight. I know we fight this because there are some things that make perfect sense when you think about it. But we fight it because we don't like the idea of being dependent. Um, In the future, we may have this as a reality. Right, So there's these self-driving cars uh, that a lot of car companies, I think every major car company is working on this. I know a lot of you, uh, some of you work in the auto industry. Maybe some of you are working on self-driving cars. Um, But there is a big, huge obstacle to self-driving cars. And it is this. People don't want to give up control. That's it. 
People don't want to give up control. They've done all these studies, right? That the reaction time of a lot of this, these self-driving cars, maybe they're not perfect yet, but they will definitely get to the place where they are much safer than humans, than, than human decision. That the, 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 uh, the, the ability for these cars to sense danger and avoid it is much faster than our ability to see it with our eyes and then with our minds be like, oh shoot, there's something in the road and then to turn. But people fight it because we don't like the idea of being out of control. We don't like to give it up, right? We hold on to it tooth and nail, even if it is less safe, even if it'll kill us, right? Isn't that weird? But that's human nature. We don't like this idea of being dependent. Um, so there is this uh, phrase that um, is kind of at the, the, the sort of center of a lot of the, this dysfunction within us. And, and by the way, this is what I think Paul means by the flesh. What I'm describing here, this desire to live on your own, is what Paul means by the flesh. And it just runs as an undercurrent in our society, in our culture, it is a part of you. Uh, so, uh, Alison Janney, uh, who's a, a pretty well-known actress, last year she won her first Oscar. I think it was the first time she was uh, nominated. And she won the Oscar, and when she got up, she did something that was really funny, that no one's, I, I, as far as I know, no one's ever done. When she got up, uh, the first thing she said was, I did it all by myself. <laughs> and, and everyone laughed, and they knew she was joking. Because if you've ever seen any of these award speeches, what do they do? They say, I'd like to thank, you know, my cast and my crew and my family. I couldn't have done it without you, right? Of course, movies are a a, a group enterprise, right? There's not a single person who makes a movie all by themselves. Except for, you know, I guess maybe some of those YouTube videos where they do selfies. Not very exciting, right? Not many special effects, right? Not much plot or dialogue, right? When it's just one person. Of course, you can't do it by yourself. And so, you know, of course, you're expected to thank other people who made it possible. But what Alice and Jamie did was to point out kind of this undercurrent that we would like to think that we did it by herself. That's why it was so funny. Right? That like, like, you know, maybe there's some people that are like, okay, I know I'm supposed to thank people, but really, I'm here because of me. Because I'm so awesome. Because I am the one who did it. And, you know, this is something that you have learned from a very young age. There are all these children's books that are called All By Myself. I just want to show you one. This was my favorite. Partially because I think that might be an Asian baby. I'm not sure. And I think it's funny that he's naked. Um, so, but there's all kinds of uh, uh, children's books all by myself. I did it all by myself. And of course, for a kid, that's a very good message. When the kid is like, I can't put on my underwear, right? Mommy, daddy, come put it on for me. I can't tie my shoes. I can't eat my food. Of course, we want kids to do it all by themselves. I get this, right? But could this be a larger cultural message? that we want to be autonomous. We don't want to have to depend on other people. How many of you hate group projects in school? Yeah, hate group projects, right? Because the fear is this, what? There's going to be that lazy member, or maybe several members. Maybe it's going to be all the members except for you, who are going to do anything, and you're going to be like, well, I care about my grade. And they're going to be like, well... (laughs) 
you know, Susan cares about her grade, so we'll just let Susan do it, right? And you're like, it's not fair. It's not fair from a fundamental level that I get the same grade as them when I did more of the work. It is very ingrained in us. Did you know, by the way, some of these things culturally, yes, it is a part of human nature, but it is stronger in uh, Westerners than it is for other people. So one of the very high values that we have that goes without saying is that you should do your own work and you should do it by yourself. In other countries, they don't always believe this. Um, I, I think I, I mentioned this book a few weeks ago. Uh, it's a really excellent book called Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. And they talk about how um, we have this bias, and we all, everybody does. It doesn't matter what culture you come from. You are going to read Scripture from a cultural bias. And one of the cultural biases that we have is we put a lot of stock in individualism. Right? We think that you know all the scripture is talking to us as individuals, right? Um, and that individualism is a very high, uh, uh, it's a very high value in our society. In other cultures, it's not as much. And so, one of the authors was a, a missionary in Indonesia, and he was teaching seminary students in, in, in Indonesia. And what he found out is that all of the students were copying off of each other. They were all working together to, you know, they had like take-home tests and essays, and they would all turn in the same essay. And he was like, what are you guys doing? You guys just all cheated. He was like, we didn't cheat, we worked together. And he was like, yeah, but you didn't do your own work. And they're like, yeah, but look at all the stuff in Scripture. We're one body, right? <laughs> Aren't we supposed to work together? Isn't that a Christian thing? You know, my, my friend needed help, so I helped him. So I gave him my, my paper. <laughs> and for us, like, like, we're like, what? Like, no, that, that's not how it's supposed to be. Right? We think we're supposed to do it all by ourselves. And maybe some of you are like, yeah, Pastor Steve, I know what you're saying, but what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with doing things all by yourself? Isn't that good? Now, all by yourself has a dark side. And this is the dark side. Can we go to the next slide? All by myself. That's Celine Dion. Don't want to be all by myself. Now, I picture, when you sing this song, I don't know if anyone has felt this. You know, maybe you broke up with a boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe all your friends didn't call. You know, they all went to hang out on Friday night. No one called you. So you're at home. And you're eating a tub of ice cream. And you're singing this song. You're crying. Oh, Don't want to be Right? Brothers and sisters, it's the same idea. It's the same idea. All by yourself. Do you think about that? All by yourself. This is the thing. When you do things all by yourself, what do you get? You get to be all by yourself. People are finding this, actually, in our society that is so individually focused that people are lonelier than they've ever been. Right now, I guess, uh, and, you know, people think there's social media is to blame for some of this, but people the ages from 16 to 24, when you ask them, how many of you are profoundly lonely? Not just like, oh, I get sad, but you're just persistently, profoundly, 
just heart-achingly lonely. And 40% of the people say yes. That's almost half. Almost half of all young people say they're lonely. And, and there's so many people who are so focused, as this world is telling you, build your career, right? Do all these things. And do it, by the way, all by yourself. Just do it all for yourself and your glory and your self-satisfaction. And before you know it, there are many people who get to the mountaintop of success and they look around and they're like, I'm all by myself. What happens when I get sick? Where are all the people to take care of me? What happens when I have this accomplishment? One of my friends who's uh, uh, divorced and um, his, his kids aren't living with him, um, he recently got tenure as a professor. And that's a huge accomplishment. In the academic world, that's one of the peak kind of experiences and, and the greatest accomplishments. And then he bought his own home, Right, which again, you know, in adulting 101, right, that's like one of the things that you're supposed to do is buy your own home. He was crossing off all these great accomplishments. And he told me, Steve, you know the thing that's been so hard is I'm doing all these things and I'm looking around and there's no one to celebrate with. We're doing it all by ourselves. And it's not just in a, 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 a relational way. This is all related, by the way. You know, that this is the reason why the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, to be in a relationship with God, but the second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. This is all connected. You are not supposed to live separately. And, and what we're going to be talking about today is how we think that plays out in a spiritual sense. For many of us, we think we are supposed to live our lives by our own power, by our own willpower. And so, friends, uh, last week we did this introduction where we were trying to explain to you uh, Romans 7 and Romans 8. Now, this is the, the problem with Romans 7 and 8, is there's a lot of language that's very difficult for us to understand. It's become so loaded for us. And so some of the terms that we mentioned last week uh, we talked about this last week, so uh, if you want a refresher, if you you, you want to go more in depth, uh, feel free to, to you know listen to last week's message, which should be on the website. Um, but the idea of flesh that you're going to hear in this passage a lot, um, it, it is the self that is apart from God. Because what you see is this idea of, of it talks about law and how in our flesh we are trying to accomplish the law, the commands of God. What God tells us we should do to live a good life, to measure up, we're trying to do it on our own. That's the flesh. That's what the flesh is about, Right? then you can boast in the flesh and you can sit there and you can go in front of a bunch of people, get on your microphone and say, guess what, guys? I did it all by myself. Look at how good I am. That's what the flesh wants to do, right? So sin, uh, in this sense, uh, in Romans uh, especially, yes, sin can be doing bad things, but that's largely not what Paul is talking about. I made a greater case for this last week, so I'm not going to repeat that. But I believe what he means here is mostly a human condition. Not doing bad things that, that you know, you get a smack on the wrist or people look at you like, oh man, I can't believe you did that. 
The way sin gets talked about in Romans is this is everyone's human condition. So there's not a single one of us that can go and judge other people because you're all under sin. Right? It's not supposed to be a way of a morality test that you look at other people and you're like, ah, you're way more sinful than me. Okay, I make some mistakes, but, you know, I'm not as bad as you. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. It should bring more compassion to know that all of us are under this condition. And the condition is about missing the mark. There's a wrongness. Richard Rohr defines sin this way. He says, sin is any attempt to bond with unreality. So think about this, brothers and sisters. What are we talking about today? This idea that you are trying to live life all by yourself. And sin is this wrongness where you think you can actually do that. You think you can live without God. And it's not real. It's not true. You're trying to live that all the time. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. That, in a way, is a state of sin. Does that make sense, brothers and sisters? So, yes, sin can, I I mean, you know, you can bond with unreality in a lot of ways, right? You can do a lot of things that are not good for you. They're very, very harmful. All the traditional things that we think of as sin, yes, those are symptoms of sin. But the greater symptom is this tendency within all of us, this human condition, where we do not want God. We don't want to be dependent. We want to do it on our own. And so this is why law is such a problem for people. Because law is about rules, or rule, or control. And so uh, last week we were reading this passage that talks about law in three ways. It would say the law, as in, you know, the, the kind of Torah, the, the commandments in the Bible, the first five books of the Bible, that have lots and lots of commandments, like the Ten Commandments and all that stuff, right? Th- th- that's the law. But then it talks about the law of sin and death. And then it talks about the law of the Spirit. And this is very confusing, right? So last week, we just had to do it. We, we tried to define these terms. We went into it. It was a difficult sermon, and I told people that it would be. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm not going to be preaching from the ESV today. I'm going to be preaching from a paraphrase. And this is the reason why I'm going to do it. Because Romans 8 is such... I mean, the entire book of Romans, it is a, a theological masterpiece but it takes a lot of time to dissect it. And, and so uh, Romans, um, the passage that we're going to read today, very famously, John Piper did a sermon series on Romans. It took him five years to get through it. And the passage that we're doing, 1 through 11, it took him more than nine weeks to get through that. Right? And, and actually over Romans 8, the, the entire chapter, uh, he preached 30 sermons on it, Right? So think like an entire school year just spent on one chapter of the Bible. We don't have that kind of time, right? We're going to do Romans 8 in four weeks, right? And so uh, I don't have time to explain every theological concept and take it apart. What I want for you in a practical sense is to get the spirit of Romans 8. Does that make sense? So, you know, we can do in-depth later at a different time. Right, But this is about getting the spirit of it. And for that, I'm going to go to Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, which is called the message. Okay, So some of the language is very similar to what we did last week. So last week, we went in depth with law, spirit, flesh. We did all that. So if you want a more in-depth treatment of that, look at last week's sermon. 
But today, we are going to try to give you the spirit of it. Is that okay? Is everyone okay with that? Yeah? Okay. All right. So um, th- th- let's just dive in here. Um, and so Eugene Peterson is going to use a lot of contemporary language. And he's going to try to explain some of these things a little bit better, the law and the spirit and the flesh and all that stuff. So he says, with the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, the fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. Now, uh, uh, one of the things we talked about last week, and it was so good that we wanted to read it again, is Romans 8.1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, in Christ Jesus, in Christ is Paul's most used phrase. He uses it over 150 times in his letters. And, and what I want us to see, and I think Eugene Peterson does a good job of showing us this, is that is not just a Christian catchphrase. That is a reality that God wants us to live into. But it is not the natural state. This is what we are trying to do. We are trying to be in Christ. This is how he puts it. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. So Christ being here for us, Christ in us, Christ with us, Christ joined with us. In other words, you are not separate. You are not separate. Does that make sense? You're not living life alone anymore. That's what the entire Christian life is about. But the Western world is telling you something different. Every day we are trying to live this life without God. Even in religion. And for many of us, the Christian life has become about trying to measure up to something. You try to do it in your own power. And what happens? Inevitably, you're going to fail. This is what we talked about all last week. You can't do it on your own. You can't be good on your own. You try really hard to be forgiving and loving and selfless or, or to be, you know, self-disciplined, you know, and, and you, you try to do all the things that you think you're supposed to, all the things that religion tells you you're supposed to, and you will screw up. You will come up short. So what is Paul saying here? He says there is a new reality that is coming into your life that is going to remove what he calls that, well, what Eugene Peterson calls that low-lying black cloud. Condemnation. This idea, you don't measure up. You're not good enough. Condemnation comes in when you think you're supposed to do it on your own. This is the thing, brothers and sisters. What if, remember I told you about those people who are working on those papers together. Now, if you did it all yourself, you're the only one who gets all the praise, all the accolades, but also all the blame. So when you turn in that paper and your teacher just marks it up, you can't be like, well, that wasn't me. Obviously you did it. So what is, what is the kind of natural self-talk in that? I screwed up. I'm not good enough. Does this sound familiar? I am a failure. Many of us live with that 
because you are living your life as if you are separate from God. Uh, Richard Bufford says that when he started out as a priest, that, that, that he said to God, you know, um, he's like, okay, God, here we go. This great adventure. This is a 50-50 partnership. You and me, okay? I'll do my 50%. You do your 50%. And then about 10, 15 years later, uh, Richard Rohr was like, okay, okay, God, maybe it's 60% you, maybe 40% me. Maybe 10, 15 years later, he's like, okay, it's probably 70% you, 30% me. But I'm still very significant. I'm doing about 30%. And, and he says now, famously, he says, now I'm up to 98.2. <laughs> it's 98% God, 2% me. What happens when God joins with your life? Who gets the credit? Who gets the credit? If somebody did 98% of the group work, <laughs> right? Who gets the credit? Brothers and sisters, when God is living with you, he is in you, he has basically said, I want to be with you. Remember, there's all these reasons why Jesus wouldn't be with us, why God wouldn't be with us, because of our sin. Right? If sin is this bad stuff that, 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 you know, makes God disgusted or whatever, then he wouldn't want to be with you. But through Jesus, he takes away the stain of sin. You know, the sin that makes us so offensive to him. And Jesus is like, no, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. It's okay. It's okay. So there's no condemnation. We're basically saying we don't want to be with ourselves. And Jesus is saying, no, I want to be with you. I am with you, right? And that's what this life is all about. So he says, uh, those who enter into Christ being here for us uh, no longer have to live with this, right? A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. That word brutal tyranny, um, the, the, the actual word is law. The law of sin and death. The dominion, the control of sin and death. This is the condition that you are in, is that you're going to keep missing the mark. Because you're going to keep trying to bond with unreality. Because you are living out the first sin of Adam and Eve. When, when Adam and Eve said basically, hey, we want to be like God. We want to decide for ourselves what is right and wrong. We want to be autonomous, right? We don't want to have to depend on anyone. That's the first sin. That is bonding with unreality, right? And if you live under that that rule, it will rule you. You will not be able to be led by the Spirit of God because you will be leading yourself. Does that make sense? So if you are in Christ, then there's a new power that is going to give you a new kind of freedom. We'll talk more about that. But, but let's, let's move on. So God went for the jugular. I love this. He went for the jugular. He's going for the kill when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition. Remember, flesh, sin, right? Not thinking about it just as naughty things you do, but thinking about it as your human condition. This is what Eugene Peterson is saying, 
Jesus personally took this on. He entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it always was by fractured human nature, could never have done that. Remember, the law, it's, it's good, but you can't follow it on your own. And, and so it, we, we've already made that case, so moving on. The, all, the law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of deep healing of it. So what does he mean by that? That, that the law, maybe you can tweak your behavior here and there, but it's just like a band-aid. It doesn't solve the underlying problem. And that's the problem for many of us, that the behavior management strategies, most of us, we are just trying to do better with willpower. And maybe once you do it, you're like, oh, okay, I did the right thing once. But your very nature has not changed. You're going to go back to your old ways at some point. It doesn't solve the underlying problem. And what is the underlying problem, brothers and sisters? Living life separately. That's the underlying problem. Living life separately. Living life separately. It's not that you're this bad person. Okay? It's not that you're, you're, you're just to screw up. It's that your life is separated from God. Does that make sense? And so this is what Jesus is trying to solve. He becomes human flesh to be with us, right? And now what the law code asked for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our efforts, just trying harder, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Remember the 98-2, right? Who is doing the heavy lifting? Who's going to get most of the credit in the group project? The Spirit of God who is in you. That's going to be the person who's doing it, or the one who's doing it. We must simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it in real life. Do you see, hear that, brothers and sisters? That's the flesh. This is the way that Eugene Peterson uh, uh, translates flesh. I want you to know, I'm not just making this up on my own. This isn't some new age thought. Okay, this is what Paul thinks flesh is, is the, the, the attempt to do things on your own, that part of you that thinks you can do it on your own. And because we are obsessed with measuring our moral muscle, what does that mean? You're always asking that question, am I good enough? Am I good enough? Am I good enough? Did I measure up? Am I worthwhile? Am I lovable? We're always asking that question. And what Jesus is trying to do is to get that question to stop, to eliminate it. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's Spirit is in them. Living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious free life. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. That person ignores who God is and what he is doing. And God isn't pleased at being ignored. Do you see that? Do you see the problem here? 
When you are living in the self, what Paul is saying is you will inevitably only be thinking about the self. You'll be focused on the self. You'll be driven by the self. You'll be driven by this project of trying to measure up. And brothers and sisters, whenever guilt and shame enters, you know you're doing it. It's not about what Christ did in you then. It is about how you screwed up. And brothers and sisters, this is why it's so important for us to understand it on this level. Because in many ways, the church has used that as a weapon. Many churches use guilt and shame and they hang it over your head. They're like, yeah, that's right. You are a screw. So you need us. We need Christ. Christ solved that problem. Guilt and shame does nothing but to destroy you. Right? All this stuff that you hear about this, this kind of, uh, uh, this freedom, right? Having real life. I have come to give you life and to give it abundantly. The enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy. That guilt and shame that, oh man, I messed up again. Oh man, I'm no good at this. Oh man, I'm horrible. That is not God's will for you. That can be an indication that I need to run to God, but you are not supposed to stay there, right? Because that obsession with yourself, I mean, because really, it's just all about you, and your eyes are just on this level. You are not looking at God. You're not focused on God. What what Paul is describing here is a spirit-filled life It's all about God. It's all about God and what God can do in you. And so in many ways, then you're not thinking about yourself. Why? Because you're free. When you're thinking about God, you're not thinking about yourself. Right? And so this is God's desire for us, to be less focused on your problems and your issues. Uh, So this is the last part of it. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, again, in Christ, this is another way Eugene Peterson is trying to put it, put it, right? Remember, what is the Christian life? It is a life that is not separate. It is a life where God is actually in you. The Spirit of Christ is in you, a part of you. He's taken up residence in your life. You can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of, than of Him. If God is really with you, then you should be thinking more about God. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome Him, in whom He dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. Now this, in the ESV and and in the Greek, what, what it says is, but if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, on the one hand, on the other hand, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If Christ is in you, on one hand, you're experiencing death in your body. You're not able to do things the way that God wants you to. You do make mistakes on one hand. But on the other hand, brothers and sisters, where are my hands? What are they a part of? They're a part of my body. Right? They're part of who I am. Both of these things are true. This is the tension that exists in us as Christ followers. 
A lot of the stuff that you're going to hear about what the Spirit does, sometimes all that does is make you feel bad. Because you're like, I'm not able to measure up. But this is Paul recognizing. If the Spirit of Christ is in you, you're going to experience the tension. On one hand, you're still going to screw up. You are, right? This is the way he puts it here. Um, For you who welcome him in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin. That's uh, Eugene Peterson's way of putting that you experience death in your body. Um, He says, at the same time, uh, you yourself experience life on God's terms. There is life in righteousness, in who God has declared you to be. It's just a gift. You are free and clear. Even though you make mistakes, you are righteous in God's eyes. This is the truth. This is the good news, brothers and sisters. Right? So it says, it stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. In other words, it is the same spirit that brought Jesus from the dead. Is the spirit that's living in you. It will bring you to life. Even though you're not perfect, even though you struggle, it will get better and better and better. This has been, uh, I know some of this sounds theoretical. It's been very, very practical in my life lately. So one of the things, I've shared a little bit about this, but since January, I've been uh, suffering from panic attacks. And they come on quite suddenly at times. And they're tough. They're very uncomfortable. They're very painful. Feels like I can't breathe sometimes. And um, last Tuesday, um, I actually had a a pretty big panic attack. Um, And this is the thing, brothers and sisters. Part of the thing with panic and anxiety for me, um, and maybe it's similar for you, is this idea, oh my gosh, what if? What if I can't breathe? And this is what happens. That thought is very anxiety-provoking. And the anxiety, one of the ways that it manifests itself is I feel like I can't breathe. So now I feel like I can't breathe more, and then I get more anxious. Oh my gosh, I can't breathe. And then it gets tighter and worse. And before you know it, I've completely lost control. What if I lose control and it makes me feel like I don't have control? Brothers and sisters, what we have been describing this whole school year is a different kind of atmosphere, a different kind of reality than the one that most of us live in all the time. Many of us, we freak out and we panic and we worry and we have anxiety because we worry, oh my gosh, what if? What if the worst happens? What if? What if I fail? What if nobody loves me? What if I'm alone? What if I go crazy? And underlying all of this, the thing that supports that lie, and it is a lie straight from hell, is you are alone. There is no God. 
There is no God who loves you, so you should be afraid. We live in a random world, and anything can happen. So, oh my gosh, what if? What if? And brothers and sisters, i got to tell you, I'm, I'm just being honest with you. I preach these messages every week, and I tell you, God is real, and God loves you, and God supports you. But in the, those moments, after my panic attack on Tuesday, I, I, I went to the mall on Wednesday. This is my routine. I, I like to go to the parks. A lot of you guys know that, but it's been cold, right? So I go to the mall instead. It's just me and a bunch of grandmas and grandpas. <laughs> That's who goes to the mall at 8 o'clock in the morning. It's Pastor Steve and a bunch of old people, right? Just walk around the mall. And, you know, I'm there, and I'm by myself. But I'm not by myself. I'm with God, right? But that morning, Wednesday, the morning after my panic attack, I felt really lonely. I'm reading this very passage. And I'm like, okay, this life is, I am in Christ. Christ is in me. God is with me. I'm not alone. I'm not alone, but I feel so alone. And, and actually, uh, I, I, seriously, this, this is really what happened. This is a true story. Um, you, you can ask David Beck, because David Beck messaged me in the morning. Uh, I didn't go to the leadership meeting on Tuesday because of my panic attack. And so David Beck messaged me, and he was like, Pastor Steve, how are you doing this morning? And David Beck, right, what, what did I message you back? I said, thanks for checking in on me. That's not an answer, right? Because I didn't want to lie. I didn't want to be like, doing great, right? When I wasn't. And, and I, I messaged David back, and I was like, you know, I should message him something else. That's kind of lame. Because right now, I'm just feeling really lonely. You know, I see all these people walking around this mall, and I really wish that someone was here, that, that I could actually talk to someone and be with someone. And I look up from my phone, and at that very moment, there's this guy, I don't know, some of you guys know, may know Pastor Andy Lee. He's at a church right down the road, about a mile and a half, Calvary United Methodist Church. He's one of my friends. I've never seen him at the mall before. Eight o'clock in the morning, it's just me and a bunch of old people. But I look up, and Pastor Andy is waving at me. Hey, Pastor Steve, what are you doing here? And I go up to him, and I have tears in my eyes. I'm like, hey, Pastor Andy. Oh my gosh. And I told him what was going on. He, he had a doctor's appointment. He had a few minutes to spare. And he went to read a book. But instead of reading the book, he walked around with me. And, and we just talked. The next day, Thursday. Okay? Brothers and sisters, I'm not making this up. This is true. You can ask the people that were involved in this. This is true. I'm not like, like dressing it up for a sermon. This is actually what happened. So Thursday, I'm walking around. Same thing. Now, I'm doing a little bit better on Thursday. <laughs> But at the same time, um, yeah, so I, I usually have a phone call with one of my pastor friends, and, and uh, he was running late, and so I'm just walking around the mall, and I thought to myself, I don't have any face-to-face meetings with anyone today. Uh, I know I'm going to talk to my friend, this pastor, later, probably, but it would be kind of nice if I actually could spend time with someone, to actually see someone. The very next moment, I kid you not, I'm not making this up. The doors open in the mall, and Evan Park walks in. So Evan Park is the one doing the Enneagram workshop. And again, I have tears in my eyes. I'm like, Evan, what are you doing here? Right? Never seen this guy at the mall either. 
And then we walked around the mall for a while. He was doing some scavenger hunt for the youth group that he's serving at the other church. He was with uh, his youth pastor at that church. And um, after a while, I did talk to pa- Pastor Sam, my friend. And, but Evan was still at the mall, and he was like, hey, Pastor Steve, when you get done, uh, do you want to have lunch? And so we had lunch, and we shared our hearts, and we prayed for each other. And slowly, I'm a slow learner. God had to do it twice, because <laughs> I'm a slow learner. I really felt like God was telling me, Steve, yes, there is this idea that you are still going to go through some things in life. But make no mistake, I am here with you. You're not alone. You're not alone. I want to tell you that instantly when those things happened, that my heart was filled with joy and I never struggled again. That's not the reality. There are a lot of people who talk about this passage, and they come to the same conclusions that I do. But this is the difference, maybe, is what they say is, it's one and done. Jesus came into your life at some point, maybe when you're like uh, uh, a junior high school kid. The Spirit of Christ entered into you, and now you are free and perfect for all time. That has not been my experience. It's not been my experience. My experience has been exactly what Paul says. There's a body of death, and there's also the spirit of life. And there are times where I listen to the flesh, and I look at the flesh. And there are times I look at the spirit, and I look at what God is doing, and I pay attention to that. And it fills me with hope. And it reminds me that I'm not alone. I just want to end with this, brothers and sisters. In case you think I'm making this stuff up, or I just cherry-picked a passage. Let's look at, um, this is Matthew 11, 28 through 30. This is the message, because uh, we've read this passage a lot. This is the message version. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Sometimes we hear passages like this, like, oh, the Spirit's going to lead me and do this stuff, and, and we think that we have nothing to do with it. Or we get confused because we're like, Pastor Steve, you just preached a whole message, a, a, a whole series of messages on the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus tells us to do stuff. Absolutely. But this is the thing. What does it say here? The life in Christ is a life that is lived lightly. It doesn't mean you don't do anything. It means that while you are doing those things, Christ is doing those things in you and through you and with you. And it doesn't have to be a heavy burden anymore. It's not about, uh, as some people claim, almost like, ah, you know, Christian life, you don't do anything anymore. Well, that's not life. (laughs) You have to live. You have to go to school. You have to go to work. But what you don't need to carry is those burdens of anxiety and guilt, and shame, that heaviness, that feeling that it all depends on you. This kind of life is a much lighter kind of life. When you're studying, when you're working, when you're doing all these things, you have this supreme knowledge that Jesus is with you. He's for you. He's on your side. 
Now, some people are like, but what if I do the wrong thing? Don't worry. <laughs> You'll find that out. And God will be there to pick you up when you make a mistake. He'll be there to forgive you. He'll be there to show you the better way. But I, I, I'm lazy. I made a mistake. Do you think that bothers God? Do you think he's going to stop lo loving you because you were lazy one day? No. He is with you. He's with you. He's in it to win it with you. He's going to put up with all of your stuff and transform all of your stuff. Right? He's going to be with you, and it doesn't have to be such a rugged and such a, such a forced life, such a, a, a difficult thing where every time we make a mistake, we think we're falling to pieces. No. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So your job, in many ways, is to surrender to that reality. Just let him in. Let him in. Let him be a part of your life. And just practice living that life as if he's really there. When you make a mistake and you get really hard on yourself, you forgive yourself. Because that's what Jesus would do, wouldn't he? Wouldn't Jesus forgive you? And if the Spirit of Christ is in you, and you better forgive yourself, amen? When you make a mistake, when life is not perfect, when you have an anxiety attack, Jesus is still with you. The next moment that you snap out of it, remember that. And keep your eyes on him, not on your mistake, or your anxiety, or your problem. Right? Let the truth that Jesus is with you and for you and loves you be the thing that lifts you out of that, that oppression of feeling like it all depends on you. It doesn't. He's going to... You know, I'm not saying that... You know, that, that's what Jesus did for me. Right? And I think part of the reason why Jesus did that for me is because I didn't demand it. I, I didn't make Jesus do it. You know? But I think for me, Jesus knew exactly what I needed on that day. <laughs> and so he helped me. He was with me. I believe that for you. Your story will be different. But make no mistake, it's not because I'm a pastor. It's because Christ is in me. And Christ can be in you too, if you invite him. If you invite him. Praise team, can you come up, please? I know for some of us, you hear messages like this, and there is so much that, that we have heard from churches, and maybe you have heard people who've used that weapon of guilt and shame. They've made you feel really bad because you didn't measure up. And they're trying to tell you, you got to do it on your own. And maybe some of that, you're battling against that. Culturally, I think a lot of us feel that way at times. And so I just want us to, um, you know, let, let, let's sing this song. Let's sing this song as a prayer. Um, and, you know, not try to <laughs> um, battle so much with your thoughts, but just to think, what if God is really with me? And there is no condemnation. And he does want to live this life in me. He give me the spirit that gives me true freedom, that gives me the ability to actually live a life for him.
What if this is true? And so let us let that be our prayer and our thought as we sing this song. Let's let's sing, Here I am, down on my knees again, surrendering all. <laughs>